Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. KWTX at 4 starts now. Thank you for being with us on this Thursday afternoon. I'm Lauren Westbrook here with meteorologist Camille Hawksworth. We unfortunately begin with some sad news out of the small community of Cameron as they mourn the loss of a police officer in a shooting that happened overnight. Police responded to reports of a woman shot when law enforcement went to serve a warrant. That suspect opened fire and authorities returned fire, killing the suspect. Our hearts do go out to those impacted by this tragedy and we will have team coverage tonight at five o'clock here on KWTX with more details and reaction from the community. Now to our daily four. Peloton is recalling more than two million fitness bikes. The fitness company is urging people who have certain bikes to stop using them because of a problem with the seats. Now the recall involves model number PL01. Peloton says the seat posts can break, which poses a risk of falling or you can get hurt. And the company says it's gotten 35 reports of that happening. 13 people were hurt. The PL01 bikes were sold between January of 2018 and now at Peloton, Dick's Sporting Goods and Amazon. If you have one of the bikes under that recall, contact Peloton for a new seat. They can be self-installed. This is the second major recall, Camille, for Peloton. In 2021, the company recalled 125,000 treadmills after a child died and dozens of other people were hurt. It was a huge pandemic purchase it for was. a lot of people mm -hmm. to stay in shape and you couldn't get to the gym because of COVID. So, I mean, check your bikes at home for sure. Maybe just they got too big too fast because everybody yeah. wanted one of those bikes. I know I was on Amazon or I was on Facebook Marketplace seeing if anybody was selling one of theirs. And mm -hmm. yeah, of course there was a lot of activity with Peloton. Um, so yeah, yes, <laughs> check your bikes. If check you have those one bikes of those at home. And now on to number two in our daily four. Yes, number two, this could be a big breakthrough for people with peanut allergies. I know, you know, we can't even have peanuts on airplanes anymore because the allergies are out there and they're so widespread. But in a new study published yesterday, researchers with DBV Technologies said an experimental skin patch, uh, they have this to treat allergies if you're allergic to peanuts or peanut butter. Uh, it's showing some really good promise too. Scientists tested the peanut patch on more than 350 toddlers. The patch features the equivalent of a one to 1,000 uh, of peanut butter. There's a little tiny bit of peanut butter there. And after a year, two thirds of the children with a less sensitive peanut allergy could safely tolerate eating the equivalent of three or four peanuts. So that's good news there. Children who were even more sensitive could tolerate an equivalent of consuming one peanut. And of course, you can get more information about the patch in the latest edition from the New England Journal of Medicine. That would be life changing for a lot of kids. You know, when I was growing up, everybody had a peanut butter sandwich. It yes. was okay to bring peanuts to school and peanuts were on airplanes showing my age but 
it's become a really big problem for families, as I'm sure you know with your children. Well, yes, I've actually run into that, like where I made peanut butter crackers because my oldest, Caroline, loves peanut butter, and mm -hmm. I had to second guess, oh, maybe I shouldn't be sending this to school because it is such uh, an allergic reaction. People can have such a big allergic reaction to peanut butter, so definitely that might help in schools. Yeah, for sure. And on to number three in our daily four, it is wedding season. Yes, it is. Camille and I are about to attend a wedding of a friend here yes. soon, and Etsy is actually launching its own wedding registry. You can pick registry items from this online marketplaces, offerings of handmade and vintage items. The registry will also provide couples with a personalization service for marriage-related things like wedding decor and bridal party items. Etsy's bid to become a large player in the wedding market comes after previous wedding registry giants either scaled back for newlyweds or they shut down entirely. And that includes Bed Bath & Beyond. That's the one I was about lately. think yes. about, yeah, yeah. That's the big one. Etsy gained seven million new customers in its last quarter and has 90 million active shoppers in total on its marketplace. Launching a wedding registry could help it continue to boost that number. I always go to Etsy personally for those personalized things you want to get for someone. It's pretty special. So well, that's what I like. Yeah. yeah, you know, it may be hard to register for some of the items because they are so widespread and so personalized. But as a guest that going to a wedding, that's a really neat idea to have something personalized for them. I know Etsy does a lot of that, so a lot of unique yeah. gifts on there too. So. I like that idea. <laughs> I do too, getting their names on it, the locations of where they're from. Very cool, so go Etsy. And we're taking a look at number four in our Daily Four, and we're taking you to Sesame Street. Camille? Yes, we are just in time for an Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. That's this month. The children's show Sesame Street has welcomed its first Filipino character. Meet TJ. TJ, how do you show your confidence? Oh, well. I'm learning Tagalog. It's a language my Filipino family speaks, and I have confidence because I can always ask my Lola for help when I don't know a word. Oh, he's so cute. So cute, <laughs> yes. And Sesame Street, again, he is the latest Asian-American puppet, Filipino-American animator Bobby Pontius, uh, based TJ on two of his friends uh, growing up, it looks like, and he wrote on his Instagram that he and Sesame Workshop Creators, creative director of design. They worked on this character together, and this is the first Filipino puppet. It is not the first Asian one. There is a Korean American character, Ji Young, and he was introduced on Sesame Street in 2021. So, a lot of new faces, a lot of new characters, and I think that is great for Sesame Street. A lot of people. Moving on up. <laughs> Welcome to the family, TJ. Yes. yes. All right. Well, we've been talking a lot about our documentary special, Monster from the Sky, that airs tonight here on KWTX in less than two hours at 6 p.m. After the break, we'll sit down with our own chief meteorologist, Brady Taylor, who worked on this documentary for the last year. And we mean the last year, probably more than that. We'll hear what it was like to get those firsthand accounts from survivors of the 1953 Waco tornado. Stay with us. A live look at the Alico building as we welcome you back here to News 10 at 4. Downtown Waco, the building continues to stand tall 70 years later after a deadly F5 tornado ripped through the city, leveling dozens of buildings, taking lives 
and leaving destruction behind. The Alico building is a historical marker remembering the 1953 tornado that forever changed the downtown area. And tonight at 6, a documentary special monster, uh, special monster from the sky will premiere on KWTX produced by Chief Meteorologist Brady Taylor. He joins us now to discuss this incredible project. Now, Brady, we're excited to talk to you about this today. You've been working on it for the last year and you got this idea then you've been working tirelessly on it. You've had a little bit of help too. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, what has it been like to gather all of these stories? You know, it kind of when you work on something this long, it kind of becomes kind of a passion project. And, you know, we, we scoured near and far. We went as far as Hot Springs, Arkansas for an interview, went to San Antonio for another. And, you know, the Texas collection was a great resource for us. The, the, the pictures and the video you'll see through the documentary are from them. And, uh, you know, some of the pictures have been seen. A lot of them probably people have never seen. The video we have has never been broadcast before. So uh, it was a lot of scouring through uh, just uh, trying to find information because when it's 70 years ago, it's hard to to, to connect all the dots. But, uh, you know, it's, it's been a fun project, been a long project, but I, I'm, I'm excited for folks to get a chance to, to see the, the finished version. And some of us got to see it Tuesday night at the Waco Hippodrome for a special screening. Some of us at KWTX and survivors, mm -hmm. their families, that moving video really did hit me once you see it and what people yes. were actually going through the black and white footage. Yeah. What's the response been like since that night? You know, that, that's probably the, the happiest I've been of all this is that the survivors, we had five of them that were there watching that you'll see their interviews and what our ultimate goal was to let them tell their story. I didn't want to edit it too much. I didn't want to change it too much. I want that firsthand account and I've reached out and talked to all of them since and they were just blown away by it. But, uh, you know, and I was really nervous on a couple of them seeing it because one of the, the ladies that you'll see talk in the documentary and she was there at the premiere, she lost her father and her best friend within just a few feet of where she was. That picture you see right there, that car door that's partially open, that was the car she was in. So she nearly got killed. And uh, I, I, I don't have it on today, but I have an Apple watch I wear and it has a monitor that measures your heart rate. I've never set it off, but it went off while she was talking. So I had apparently over 120 pulse rate going because I was nervous about her watching it. Um, yeah. But uh, no, and it's been a really cool part of this. I've now have uh, extra grandparents, I feel like, you know, where I'm good friends <laughs> with uh, people that live through it and we, we connect and talk. But I was really excited that they got to see it and it really heart felt that they enjoyed it and were excited to see the final product. So, you know, it might be confusing to some people when they ask about how it went. Mm. People I've run into on the street mm. who are anxious to see yep. it tonight why I say you'll love it, you'll feel something, you'll cry, but you also laugh. Yeah, yeah. There were some moments of levity yes, in this the, documentary. Can yeah, you explain that? Yeah, you know, and we, because it, it's a serious topic, you know, and mm -hmm. to have an hour worth of just death and destruction is, is hard. But, you know, we, we have the interviews of the people we talked to, but we also have the oral history interviews that were, they, these are from the Oral History Project at Baylor. So they were done back in the early 80s. So that's still well after the tornado. But yeah, there, there was some, you know, you get just different memories from the storm and it tells the story. But yeah, like I said, some you, you little cut up jokes mixed in there that, but these are all firsthand what the people ha had seen. So, you know, even through death and destruction, sometimes there's just some oddities that, that happen with it. And yeah, lets you kind of take a breath during it. But and, uh, yeah. you know, when you go through something so tragic, sometimes the best way people have to deal with it is to mm. find the little humorous yes. moments yeah. and you'll definitely hear that. What are some of the big takeaways that you walked away with after making this for the past year? You know, uh, it's like I said, worst tornado to ever hit the state of Texas, first F5 tornado. But the, the biggest takeaway I had was just 
the how the city of Waco, the people of Waco, jumped in to help. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you had just immense destruction downtown. I mean, that picture you see right there, it's hard to tell, but just on the other side of like where this cafe is, just to the right of that, was a five-story building that completely collapsed. And 22 people lost their lives inside that building. But that Chris's Cafe you see there, they saved several people's lives. So these people from Waco that didn't know the, who the people were inside, the National Guard, the Army, Air Force, there were people just running in trying to do everything they could to help. And you gotta remember, it was still pouring rain after this storm, still the threat of thunderstorms, and gas lines were broke, electric lines were down. The threat was still there, but they dug through, even though there were 114 people died, there were a lot of lives saved by the hard work that the people of Waco did to try to help these folks. Yeah, they worked tirelessly mm -hmm. yeah. for more, 24 hours, yeah. going back in and yeah, digging and people out. One, one person in the documentary you'll hear, he says his rem remembers, how he remembers the day Waco tornado is from bloodied hands because they didn't have gloves for everybody and they're mm -hmm. digging through pulling bricks. Well, there's shards of glass and metal and wood and they're doing everything they can to try to dig it out. But uh, you know, you think of big machinery, but you still have people buried underneath there. So they had to kind of easily pull all this off to try to get down. And there was people, we'll, we'll tell you the story of one lady, uh, Lily Mac Macon, she was in there for 14 hours. That's it took that long to, to get to her. And then, uh, you know, so this was tireless work to try to get down and try to save these people. Now, we do know about the lives lost on that day. So many more were impacted. Are there any stories that stood out that did not make it into the film? I know you put some of those and encouraged yeah. us to follow up on them here. Yeah, at so I was really glad, like you touched with the Bridge Street. We'll talk about that, but you took a little deeper dive. Uh, you know, we, we didn't, you know, there, we talk a little bit about the Alico building and the Dr. Pepper Museum, but there's more of those side stories. We didn't get to touch on a lot of the stories outside of downtown. There was a story of a lady, she was in middle school at the time, the tornado hit their house and they were so scared they go running out on the front porch, but it lifted the house up and they actually fell off the front porch. Wow. But it picked their house up enough that a tree behind the house fell and the house set back on top of it. So, uh, you know, there were some of those wild and crazy stories that, that you hear. Uh, but yeah, it, that there was little ones that we had to cut here and there, but I think we did a good job kind of one showing you what downtown looked like before because it looks a lot different now and then kind of inside of all those buildings what happened in those personal stories. I ran into a man today who mm -hmm. is excited to watch yeah. the documentary. He said, I missed the bus by 30 minutes and that was the difference of me being in the yeah, storm or, or not, you know? Yeah, it's I mean, crazy. I talked to people. I mean, literally it was a matter of minutes. So it, it hit that day at 440 in the afternoon on a Monday afternoon. It was the Monday after Mother's Day. So busy time downtown. And mm -hmm. you also keep in mind in 1953, the majority of families had one car. So yeah. if your husband worked downtown, the wife came to pick him up or, you know, so a lot of people were downtown and it was, yeah, the worst p place it could be. But one, one takeaway that I thought was cool, I, some of the people that left the premiere said when they drove and left because of the Hippodrome there on Austin Avenue, they saw downtown a little different because mm -hmm. there's parking lots that, you know, where the RT Dennis and the Paget building, the two buildings we really focus on, now is just parking lots. So it, it just changes how, downtown looks. We try to paint that for you, but again, just in that firsthand account from the people that lived through it and how it impacted their lives. It's going to run here. We don't have a six o'clock tonight. Mm -hmm. That is yeah. where the documentary runs from six to seven, but yeah. last minute thoughts, Brady, of anyone you would like to thank. Oh man, the Texas Collection, uh, the Oral History Project at Baylor, all of the survivors that sat down and talked with us, Texas Farm Bureau. Uh, we get to air this commercial free, so an hour long, 
uh, without any breaks in it. So I really appreciate their help in this project. But yeah, all, there was a lot of people from area libraries and schools that helped us get little pieces. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of people to of work. Uh, Daniel Hamilton, James Ward here at our TV station made this thing look awesome. So a lot of people to thank that really got this project going. All right, Brady, thank mm -hmm. you for all your hard yeah, work. Yeah. And to everyone you just mentioned, we'll be right back. Monster from the Sky at 6 p.m. here on KWTX.